Hello there. You're listening to Sasitup podcast by Sashwath and Oscar where we speak with startup founders, venture capitalists and some of the leading talents in the world. We listen to their personal journeys and share their stories that shape their world view. Dennis Kalishkin is a principal at I2BF Global Ventures. He focuses on a wide range of emerging technologies such as machine learning, robotic process automation, virtual and augmented reality and internet of things. Welcome Danish to our show. Thanks guys for having me today. Happy to share my experience and my thoughts on today's topic. Actually, I'm a rocket scientist, so I was going to build rockets back in 2007 or 2008, but sometimes along this journey I understood that I'm more like a person who likes to communicate rather than to develop technologies and I was looking where the skill set and the passion for technologies comes together. It happened that it is a VC where I would like to work. I had a quite a long journey here. I launched and actually failed my own startup, so when I talked to a founder, I I understand the painness and problems you encounter guys and actually every time I tell something to startups uh, launching a podcast or a video recording I'm telling the story to myself 10 years back so avoid those mistakes just know the numbers game you're going after and all the stuff so happy to elaborate on that today we were just discussing oscar and me that you know denis has a masters degree in space engineering from moscow institute of physics and technology and a corporate finance degree from the higher school of economics and with a very diverse background you ventured into the investing route as well so why did you take a different route i mean what triggered that over the last few years of your experience first of all when i was studying at moscow institute of physics and technology there were a lot of people or a lot of smart guys and girls who could do essentially any technology but a lot of them were really technical and i saw that people do a technology but i didn't see a lot of people who would build business on top of it and back then i decided maybe i become someone who would help to bring those technologies to the real life and i'm actually kind of a dreamer because uh, since my childhood i always liked science fiction especially robotics and space uh, technologies and i was dreaming of having them in my real life when i would be grown up so i just was looking for an opportunity how could i leverage my knowledge on this purpose i ended up working in a vc and actually An inspiration moment for that was uh, when I had a class on venture capital and higher school of economics and I thought okay I have a good technological background and I can understand very sophisticated things but on the other hand this is finances and uh, this is something dealing with businesses technology businesses and bringing those uh, technologies to real people so I decided this is something I'm well suited for that's fascinating Could you give a little bit of insights around writing an investment memo because now you are an investor yourself so maybe we start from there Yeah I would also start from a little bit of explanation what's actually VC and what's not because there is a lot of confusion many people think that they are doing a startup but they're actually doing a small business they think they can raise money from vc but they actually can't because they are looking for another asset class and the intrinsic risks and the intrinsic business model of the business they're doing it's not actually a good fit for a vc so when we talk about venture capital you need to understand this is an investment company so we're investing money 
in high-risk asset class, in high-risk technology companies, so-called startups. And oftentimes I see that people from academia are coming to venture capital and they're looking for grants, actually. They're saying, we have a really good technology, give us money, we will make it even better. First thing you need to remember is that we're investing in businesses. So every time you talk to a VC, you need to think about how I will earn money. What is the business model? Who is my target customer and how much they pay me? When we speak about startup, uh, the biggest difference from a small business is that they employ very high-risk business model. This, on one hand, leads that uh, there is a big chance of failure. But on the other hand, it means that you will experience a tremendous growth if you do everything right. When I talk about tremendous growth, it means that for the next five to 10 years, you will double or sometimes even triple your revenue until you reach $100 million, for example. And keep it in mind when you decide to raise VC money. VC money are looking for such growth and uh, there will be a lot of things to sacrifice when you're in the journey of building such a big company. At some point you can fail and you need to keep it in mind when you decide to build a startup and raise VC money. Oftentimes uh, it's uh, really uh, helpful to give a couple of examples. What is a startup and what is a, a small or medium business? For example, if you're going to make a chain of coffee shops, suppose you acquire a franchise, this business can grow actually double or triple every year, but it still wouldn't be a startup because the intrinsic risks of business model are lower because you can go somewhere, look how this business works, get the best practices and replicate it. With the startups, oftentimes it's not the case. You're building business, you try to figure out what are the clients, what is the business model, how you can charge. You're actually you're going through a totally different journey. I'm not saying that building a regular business, small and medium business is bad. And there are a lot of problems along this way. But still, the risks are higher uh, for startups. Uh, due to the business models, and uh, the rewards are higher. And venture capitalists are looking for rewards. And another important thing, especially about SaaS businesses, is the scalability of the business model. Yes, you spend some time and money to develop it along the road, but then each single, uh, single license doesn't cost much to sell. And you can leverage technologies like digital marketing, for example, to scale the sales, you don't need to scale uh, the headcount. It's not consulting where, you know, the more revenue you have, the more people you hire. It's the scalability, which is intrinsic to the business model, especially to SaaS business model. And this is actually what a lot of VCs like about investing in SaaS businesses. You need to understand that venture capital is an investment company. And oftentimes when we say Sequoia, like Bessemer, we are referring to a management company. Not, not the investment vehicle itself. Because this management company, a group of people doing investments, can have several funds under management. And this money actually are not the money of the venture capital itself. We raise it from so-called limited partners. These are high net worth individuals, governments, corporations, funds of funds, and so on. Given this structure, given these mechanics on how it works, we need, on one hand, get those money from LPs, 
And sometimes later, we need to return those monies. This means that every time we purchase a share in a company, so we're investing in a company, getting your shares, we keep in mind that we need to sell it in five to 10 years. And if you're raising money from a venture capital, you get ready that your company will be acquired. You will lose the control of your company maybe from five to 10 years. 90% of the companies of startups are acquired by corporations. So keep it in mind when you decide to build a startup and when you decide to raise money from a venture capital. If you're not ready to lose control at some point, then you should bootstrap and build it on your own. Another misunderstanding is that startups are waiting that venture capitalists would do business development for them. Our main goal is to meet more startups and we spend a lot of time, like maybe 80% of the time or, or something like that, meeting new startups, closing new deals, and so on. There is a lot of talk about added value, and VCs are providing this added value, but it's more like we do a very good introduction to a potential client. It's more like we can help you to hire a person, but 99% of the time, the founders are doing business development and a lot of stuff themselves. So you just need to keep it in mind when you're raising money and looking for smart money. You need also to remember that you're participating in a very risky game. The chances of your startup to fail are really high. Maybe someone uh, had courses on economics and finances and came across such a term like uh, risk-reward curve, which means that the more risk you take, the more reward you can get. And on the contrary, if you don't take risk, your returns on investment would be not that high. And this is because many startups fail. You're going after a higher risk, you, you have a bigger price at the end. And if you look at various asset classes, private equity, public companies, government loans, and all the stuff, venture capital is the most risky asset class. To give you an idea, one company, one successful investment in a portfolio of venture capitalists could return all size of the funds or two or three X to the funds. So it's a numbers game when a handful of companies give to the VC tremendous reward. Oftentimes we call those companies unicorns until they become public. There are around 600 unicorns across the globe right now. While every year in the US only, we have 5,000 deals closed. So you can see how small is the chance to become a unicorn. One thing before we really jump into this risk reward thing, you mentioned you invest in businesses, right? And you're screening startups all around the globe from US, EU, Asia. Can you walk us through your screening workflow? Like what are the signals you look for in companies? This would be something that's really interesting for our audience as well. There is a good template in the internet on Medium on how VCs are assessing the investment opportunities. And uh, we actually look at a lot of stuff. When I first held a webinar on um, investment memo, I was looking through my real investment memos I wrote on the deals. And there are more than 20 questions we need to answer. But if we're talking about, you know, generally, there are a lot of things around What's the product you're doing exactly? What's the market you're addressing? How big is the market? And this is important because venture capitalists oftentimes are looking for total addressable market more than $1 billion. 
And a lot of companies are just addressing niche markets. And this is the reason they can't raise money. If you're addressing a market with a size of, for example, $100 million, you need to understand that you need either pivot to another sector, maybe thinking of another idea, or thinking of how to expand your existing product, maybe expand it to other niches and maybe upsell and cross-sell, adding other functionality in your product along the way that you, you will attack a bigger market opportunity. That's okay to start from a very small niche, but you need to have a vision on how you will expand and you need to sell this vision to venture capital. And of course, every VC spends a lot of time looking at what is the team, what is their previous experience, how this team came together, trying to understand if this team is capable of working under pressure because startups have a lot of problems on their way. There will be ups and downs and everyone would like to bet on the team which are capable of going through these downturns and uh, problems and build a big business. I'd like also to stress a little bit of mechanics on how uh, venture capital works. You know, I have a good phrase for that. Venture capital is a Robin Hood. So we take money from the richest and give those money to poor. But 10 years later, we got, uh, get those money back. But at that time, those people are already rich. <laughs> And the reason for that is that it takes time to build a big company. And this eight to 10 years period is uh, split in two parts. The first three to five years of active investment phase, when a VC finds new deals, closes new deals with the new portfolio companies. And actually, if you're raising money, you need to look after those VCs which are in the active investment phase. Because the next five to seven years is the phase when VCs are managing their existing portfolio. They are able to do only follow-on investments in their portfolio companies, and they spend a lot of time selling the companies and exiting from their existing portfolio companies. The problem if you're trying to raise money from such a VC is that they just can't invest in you. And in practice... Typically, venture capitalists raise funds every three to five years. And when the investment phase in the, one of the funds is finished, they have another fund, fresh funds, which is active. And how can you double check if the VC is in active phase? Just look if they close a new deal with a new startup within the last 12 months. And you can always ask them during the meeting, are you in the active phase or how many years do you have in this active phase and all the stuff. These are some great tips. Thanks so much for those. What I would really like to touch upon is risk reward. And you as an investor, you take a lot of risk. What I would like to know is what are some of your strategies to reduce the risk upfront? Do you have some strategies or what's your approach to reduce the risk before you make the investment? First of all, you build a risk map. There are some risks like business risk that you just take. You say, okay, this is a big market opportunity, but there are risks that the market just wouldn't move that fast. You can actually do nothing with it. You just accept this risk and say, okay, I understand the risk. Yeah, I take this risk. Sometimes you say, okay, I believe that uh, the pace of development of the market will be much slower. And I just don't invest in this deal or don't invest in the opportunities like this in this year. And sometimes you're right, sometimes you're wrong. 
one of the biggest risks is execution risk. Because what VCs can do, they can look at uh, several startups, competitors tackling the same problem. Just pick the one which has more revenue traction, which has the better position on the market, which has the more experienced team. And oftentimes, with all things equal, venture capitalists prefer more experienced team. The people have managerial experience or uh, have worked in good companies build previous businesses. It's not a 100% guarantee that uh, you succeed investing in a company and maybe some college students will build a tremendously successful company. But in general, this is one thing that people uh, keep in mind making decisions. Maybe you can tell us if it's wrong or right. I heard that one in 10 startups is successful. Nine out of 10 startups will fail. So of course, there's a lot of risk involved. How are you going to manage your asset allocation? If we say like a startup is your asset, how are you going to manage your asset allocation regarding the risk? Are you saying, okay, I have like 10% really high risk investments or balance the risk overall, like 50-50, for example, in your portfolio? How do you balance the risk? I'll tell you the general concepts. VCs are looking at all the opportunities and trying to find this outlier. So we try to think that each of you will succeed. Yeah, we, we understand the risk, but we try to believe that each of them could be potentially a unicorn. If we talk about the risks, first of all, there is a concept that you can't put more than certain percent of your fund under management in a single company. For example, not more than 10% of overall funds uh, could be invested in a single company because we need to make portfolio investments. We need to balance this portfolio. If you don't do this, you're just depend on this single biggest investment. And uh, as it always the case, it will fail. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't say that nine out of 10 uh, startups fail. Typically, the split is something like 10% of the portfolio companies are the top performers. Maybe 30% they're doing Pretty great, not significant access, but still you're earning money on that. Around 30% of the portfolio is like, that's okay. Like we returned our investment, something like that, or they are in the zombie mode when they are not growing, but not the die. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. And, yeah. And, uh, and the, yeah, some something around 30% is written off. Uh, you need to keep in mind that uh, these proportions vary from phase to phase because if you're investing at pre-seed and angel, the proportion of fails will be higher. So it decreases slowly when you invest at seed and uh, actually if you're doing Series A or Series B company, the chance that you will fail is not that high. The main risk here is that the upside wouldn't be that uh, tremendous. The company just wouldn't grow as you expected. And also, uh, speaking of this risk management, venture capitalists don't put all the money in a single round. So oftentimes, you have reserves for the following investments. Maybe at the earlier stages, they put 30% of the limit per company, maybe 50%, and keeping 50 to 70% for the following investments. And if the company performs well, they just do additional investments with the next rounds of investments and maybe do a couple of follow-on investments. Excellent. So I think the game of venture investments is uh, somewhat similar to, uh, let's say, poker. So it's very high risk, but sometimes you can go all in and you can eventually find a unicorn or a great deal as well. I like your analogy with the poker because like in poker, big money involved. And a lot of psychology is involved as well, because 
Every founder pitches the idea perfectly if he or she spends a lot of time preparing it. And founders are black box for themselves, so they don't really know if they will be successful or not. And this is even a bigger black box for the VCs who are talking to those uh, founders and have very limited time to make a decision. You be the founder, you have a couple of months of this back and forth negotiation and you need to launch like $3 million, $10 million, $50 million. Yeah. And how you make decision like that, right? Absolutely. I think there's a concept of blind spots as well. And there is a framework called as Johari window. In Johari window, what happens is that there is like, it's just a two by two grid. And on the, on the x-axis of the grid is known to self. And on the y-axis of the grid is known to others. So every box on the grid is like a founder and a VC playing the game. There are parts that are known to both the VC and the founder. There are parts that the VC knows about it, but the founder doesn't know about it. And there are parts that the founder knows better than the VC. And there are parts which are the bigger blind spots where none of the guys playing the game know about it, right? And that's a much more complex and psychological game played out as well. But coming back to my earlier question, we understand the venture investments, we understand the startups as well, we understand how both the startups and the VCs come to the table to cut a deal and see and test each other out. What I'm very interested to know is what a lot of founders are totally unaware of. You know, they don't have any clue how a particular VC drafts a investment memo because that is very internal to the fund. If a startup founder could predict or understand the approach of a VC, then they could also understand how to go after the target addressable market as well. So if you could share some of your thoughts around drafting an investment memo and how the intricacies of the game happens, it will be also helpful to our listeners. Think of an investment memo as a summary of the investment opportunity. So actually, investment memo is the document which, for example, me as a principal writing to sell the investment opportunity to my colleagues. Because to make a decision, we have an investment committee where we come together, one of the team is presenting an opportunity. Typically, this is the person who you spend more time negotiating with, who is negotiating the terms and the term sheet, who is asking the questions, who is making diligence with the clients. And before he or she goes to the investment committee, he's already sold that this deal needs to be done. And all the others, they're serving as a risk committee. So they're poking the holes and trying to understand what are the pitfalls, what are the hidden problems. Uh, and the person who presents need to be ready to have counter-arguments and proven that this is a good opportunity. If we speak about the investment memo structure, it's structured in three big parts. The introduction, the main body, and the conclusion. As is always the case, you need to tell the story. To sell something to someone, you need to tell the story. And if you want to sell something to someone, you need to repeat it at least three times. So you do a two, three minute introduction or make an one intro slide uh, where you tell, this is a tremendous opportunity. I like this, this, and this. This is a good team. These are the terms on which we would like to invest. Then uh, there comes the biggest part for 20 slides or something where you discuss each part starting from the product, the total addressable market size, also discussing the team, the competition, competitive landscape, the trends, both investment trends and market trends in the sector. 
We also discuss what's already done, what's the current traction, what are the financials, what are the LTV CAC. And of course, we have a separate slide on the risks. Typically, the, the unacceptable risks could be something in the legal structure and on the company, you need to get some letters of intent or something. The risks you need to accept, they are typically business risks or risks associated with the market or sometimes risks associated with the team. Here is also the slide of the conclusion when you say again what you like about the team, what you suggest to do about this deal. Spoiler alert that you always suggest to make an investment because there is no reason to make all this tremendous work and spending a lot of time both of the VC team and the founders team to prepare the deal if you're not quite convinced that it will be accepted. So you focused a lot on a wide range of emerging technologies as well, such as vertical SaaS, healthcare IT, AI, AR, VR, IoT, robotics, etc. So are you specifically looking for companies who utilize these frontier technologies as well? At AWF, we are looking at vertical SaaS startups. Those are the companies we are building solutions for construction, manufacturing, logistics, sometimes even funeral agencies. Those solutions typically designed for the needs of those particular niches. And those solutions could employ this stack of technologies, even hardware sometimes. But for us, it's important that it's vertical solution, not horizontal. Because actually, the businesses are really sticky in those vertical solutions. Because if you go after an industry with less tech-savvy personnel, sometimes it's hard to onboard them. But if you onboard them with your solution, it will be really sticky because they don't like to change the provider. And what they like is that all the terms, all the best practices, all the mechanics they need in their line of business is in your solution. Thank you so much. My final concluding question would be, are there any books or novels that has inspired you in your journey over the last few years as an investor or as a, as a professional? I strongly recommend to read Jeffrey Moore, Crossing the Chasm, and Inside Tornado. They are really good in explaining how the technology markets evolve and, more importantly, how the strategy of your company should change given the stage of the market. Because at some points of the market, the platform solutions work better. If the market in another state, vertical solutions like vertical SaaS are more preferable. I'd also recommend to read investment memorandums of Bessemer Venture Partners. This is actually a present for all the VC market that uh, a respectable venture capital published how they made decisions on some of their big wins like LinkedIn or Wix or Twitch. And go look the real stories and the real risks venture capitalists handled when they did those decisions. Yeah, excellent. So I think we had one of the investors from Bechamer Venture Partners as well. In the first episode, in Bechamer Venture Partners, you have just not a portfolio, but they have an anti-portfolio as well. Some of the companies that have actually missed out investing. So that's a unique piece of advice. We have also had a few of the founders, entrepreneurs who have been invested by Bechamer Venture Partners in our show as well. So Yak.com was one of them. We were just having a conversation with a gentleman by the name of Justin Mitchell. Great company he's building in the Valley ecosystem. So I'll definitely recommend our listeners to look into these suggestions that you rightly mentioned. So it was lovely talking to you, um, Danish. Lovely talking to another Seedstar mentor as well. Thank you so much for spending some time today. And we hope to catch up again in some event somewhere in some part of the world. Thanks for having me. Bye, guys. Bye.